0: You're now listening to the Laravel podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Laravel podcast season six. I'm your co-host, Matt Stauffer, and I got Taylor with me. You want to say hi to the folks? Hey, everybody. How's it going? So, as uh, we have shown you, what we're going to be doing for this episode or for the season. Um, with every episode, we're going to give you kind of an update of what go- what's going on in the world of Laravel um, and then kind of talk about any topics that are really relevant to us. So, this one is completely separate from anything that's going on in the world of Laravel, but I just wanted to hype that screencasting.com just kind of pushed out their first or only, I'm not sure, video. And that's Aaron Francis, a uh, LaraCon speaker who's been doing a lot of great screencasts lately. And I bought and consumed a pretty decent amount of it. And it's it's got a lot of the nuggets that I've learned painfully over the years in, in uh, ScreenFlow and doing this kind of stuff. And so I was really grateful. Taylor, do you do a lot of video editing?
1: I have in the past. I haven't done as much lately. But you know, back in the old days, when Laravel first came out, I used to actually make those little screencast pretty yeah. often actually just showing off the little laravel features and i would use ScreenFlow for that i haven't done it in a while but you know aaron we actually do have him cooking up something for laravel nova right now just kind of really? on the side a little a little intro video screencast type thing for laravel nova that we're going to put on a sort of a revamped marketing site for that so that's awesome i'm curious to see what he comes up with
0: yeah i remember you used to make those videos but i never knew if you edited them or if you kind of paid somebody else to do yeah. the editing okay so you yeah, know this world I them. Yeah. yeah i mean a little i bit. I've made lots of YouTube videos in the past, but right now I'm literally today I'm editing the last video of a course I'm about to do. And it's my first time ever doing a course. And I've realized that a course has like a whole new set of responsibilities in editing that just popping out a video on YouTube is not quite the same. So it's been fun kind of like as I'm finishing up editing, seeing his course where he talks about the recording of his course through that process. So Mm -hmm. if you're interested in doing screencasts, if you're interested in doing YouTube or whatever else, check out screencasting.com friend of the pod, you know, Aaron Francis, longtime Laravel community member and Laracon speaker. All right, so let's talk about new things that are happening in the world of Laravel. So one of the things we have on our list here is talk about the Livewire version of Breeze. And I don't know, in, in writing my book and talking about like the various stacks that you can choose for the various Laravel tools, I don't think everyone even fully understands that there are these stacks and the list of stacks available for each of them aren't the same. So could you talk a little bit about how Breeze and Jetstream have the different stacks and kind of what they have optional right now and what this introduction means.
1: Yeah, so Jetstream and Breeze being Laravel's two main starter kits. And the main difference between them is Jetstream is sort of more has more features. It's a little a little bit more stuff out of the box, like team management, two-factor mm-hmm. authentication, some other stuff. Breeze, a little bit more streamlined, kind of like the old school make auth command if you've been around Laravel for a while. Basically, continues the is the spiritual successor to make off you might yep. say uh, and they have different stacks um so basically they have either inertia or which lets you use view or react or they have live wire which lets you use a blade and in breeze's case it also has just a plain blade stack with no other additional things on top yep. and the reason for that is sort of to give you some history i didn't want laravel to be sort of very dogmatic about one particular way of doing front end. Um, and I think this is a little bit different than something like Ruby on rails, which has sort of been in the Twitter space lately with the whole typescript drama where David, the maintainer on rails, I think is very much JavaScript in moderation, you might say. And I didn't really want to take any hard stance either way, because I actually personally really like Vue. I enjoy react as well, but I think LiveWire is also awesome. And I wanted everyone to sort of be able to choose their flavor So, yeah, Breeze comes with a few different stacks. It's historically had just plain Blade, Inertia paired with Vue, or Inertia paired with React. And now, this week, we launched Blade paired with Livewire, which sort of just supercharges Blade and lets you build modern reactive-feeling applications without actually writing much JavaScript at all, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And Jetstream, can you, I don't know if you know, remember off the top of your head, but I remember when I was writing the book, the latest version of the book, I was noticing that the, the list of stacks available to Jetstream and Breeze aren't the same, primarily right. because Jetstream requires reactivity, whereas Breeze doesn't, right?
1: Basically, yeah. So Jetstream has either live wire or inertia and view. There's actually no There's inertia no react, react stack. Yeah. And, and- Partly because it's just a lot. Uh, Jetstream has a lot yeah. of stuff, and it's a lot yeah. to maintain. All these different stacks, and when you add another permutation onto the the list of stacks, it actually Lots like greatly balloons up uh, how many how many things we need to maintain. So, it's a lot easier to add a new stack to breeze because it's only six or seven pages, maybe. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's pretty doable.
0: Yeah, and that's so that was what kind of what I wanted to point out is that Jetstream. Each of these stacks is a huge amount of code. It's a huge amount of templates. It's a huge amount of reactivity code and everything like that. Whereas Breeze is, I mean, of those who aren't familiar, the old make it's, you know, login, sign up, password reset, email authentication, I think. There's just a lot less going on there that you have to code. And also that ends up being the reason why there was a classic Blade stack with Breeze, where there was never a classic Blade stack with Jetstream. And as I was talking to folks about it, I just realized that that wasn't always something that people are super familiar with, so I just wanted to cover that real quick. So, So we've got a live wire breeze now, so that's fantastic. Yes. So I know that I've been talking to people about prompts, and not everybody actually knows about prompts. So before we talk about the new feature we have in prompts, could you just kind of give a quick intro to what prompts is if people haven't seen the intro videos?
1: Yeah, so back of, I don't remember how long ago, several months ago, me and Jess were talking about how these CLI libraries in like the node ecosystem just looked awesome. Like they had yeah. awesome text prompts, awesome spinners, cool loading indicators, progress bars, and they just looked so much better and more modern than anything we had in PHP. Yeah. And so the goal was sort of to bring that kind of CLI experience into PHP, if it was even possible. I mean, we thought surely it must be possible. Yeah. Uh, Cause You know, you can do anything you want to, I guess. But anyway, Jess was the one that really, like, cracked how to do all that. And to be honest, like, I have very little idea how it works. (laughs) Love it. But basically, it's it's a composer package you can pull in actually to any PHP application, not just a Laravel application. And it basically gives you seven or eight namespaced functions like text, spin, progress, table, different things like that and it just looks awesome all the prompts yeah. look really modern there's validation you know there's searching capabilities that does like little drop downs in the console yeah. and lets you select your search results so yeah it's pretty wild
0: yeah it's it's the type of stuff where i don't spend as much time in the node ecosystem anymore and so i was seeing her demo and being like oh there's there's a lot you can do here because having written kind of stuff to output to the cli i I don't even understand the concept of how you can have stuff that changes while it's still in the same spot in the screen in the CLI. Like it's it didn't know you could do that. So, yeah. So you yeah, said that there's wild. a new feature here called multi-search. Can you talk to us about it a little bit? Yes.
1: Yeah. So we have had a search function since prompts came out, which um, basically let's, it brings up a text box. And as you start typing, it sort of drops down a little box that is filtering as you go. So, but mm-hmm. behind the scenes, you could be hitting like a database, you know. So as you're typing a user email address, the list of users is filtering as you type, and it's querying the database on the back end, and it's just like a little search dropdown, like you might yeah. see on the web, really. Uh, but it only let, you let it let you select one mm-hmm. option. Um, so we just shipped multi-search, which lets you filter down your search results, arrow down with your keys, and then hit like space bar to select multiple things nice. you want to select. And it gives you back um, an array of the selected options. So a pretty cool little feature. And with that, I forgot to mention, we shipped progress bar this week as well. So okay. nice. Pr- as you would expect, you call a progress function, you pass it a callback, it mm-hmm. increments the progress bar. But it just looks really good doing it. And you can adjust the labels as it goes and show percentages and all of that stuff.
0: That's awesome, and I've been I've been living in Valley a lot lately, which is not built on Laravel, and it kind of makes me wonder: can I pull prompts in and do some fun stuff there? So I think might be um, yeah digging yeah, into get off this awesome, yeah. So another thing that's been talked about a little bit on the Twitter sphere is Pale. Can you talk to us a little bit about Pale? Mm-hmm.
1: So I think it goes back to a tweet maybe last week that Jeffrey Way made of Laracast Fame, and he said something about. I feel like there should be a tail command in Laravel. And then I responded and said, there actually did used to be a tail command in Laravel. And it was like in Laravel four or five, Mm -hmm. where basically you could run artisan tail and it would, you know, just tail your log file for your application. And I can't remember if it like would work remotely or whatever, but anyway, it would tail your log file. So Nuno thought that was just like, really a cool idea and he loves building CLI type tools. He likes building pretty CLI outputs. He is kind of behind the renovations of artisan serve and all of the new output for the CLI in general in Laravel. So he started working on this package called pale sort of as his own little experiment just to gather some community feedback. And it basically basically, uh, it works a little bit different than the old artisan tail command. So what it does is when you run artisan pale, it actually hooks into kind of the report function of the logging and I exception handler. So that mm-hmm. even if you're not using log files, like imagine you were sending all of your exceptions to Sentry and you're actually not logging them at all. The old tail command wouldn't really help you in that case. Cause it was actually reading just the log, log file, files. the text file. Whereas this kind of hooks into the report function. So everything that goes through report which typically is everything that you're sending either locally or to some external service you see right there on your CLI output. And of course it's all prettified and color coded and has nice stack traces and everything. And he also added filtering capabilities so that you can like filter on a given string or even a given authenticated user, like dash dash user equals one. And you get all of the, or only the, you know, the exceptions that that user is seeing. So actually pretty nice i think you know for simple use cases just to be able to tail something for a specific user if you're trying to diagnose something in production which is something we do fairly often like we may need to impersonate a certain user kind of click around and see what is actually going on and we can tail or pale that output right there so anyway i think it's a pretty simple package i think we'll probably just ship that out pretty soon
0: okay yeah, I really liked seeing the filtering aspect of it, because one of the things I've done often with logs is try to get information out of it that I did not send. And it's often user related information. And I'm like, oh, crap, I need to now like embed it in there. So, yeah, the ability to to say for this user, for this particular string or whatever, and actually get kind of the real time trailing reports as well is really, really, really cool. I'm excited to play around with it. Nice. Okay, so moving on from announcements a little bit, we still got a little bit of announcement stuff going on here. We had a couple questions that had come in around hosting, and I know that there's been some hosting changes. So I said, I wanted to kind of address those questions first and have a conversation around how to host Laravel and then move in from there to kind of what's been going on with Forge and Envoyer. So the biggest question that we had from several people is, what are the actual options for just deploying a Laravel app to the internet today? And I know we kind of talked a little bit beforehand about what the various options, so I'll I'll let you kind of run with it. And I'll chip in as as possible. But like, if you were to say here are the options for hosting a Laravel app today, kind of what are the main maybe not the actual companies, but just kind of the main categories of hosting option that we actually have available to us.
1: So as far as I know, there's probably still the the old option of having a server that you FTP files into any Uh virtual private server. I'm not I guess that's still a thing, you know, like GoDaddy or or Mm DreamHost or whatever. Um, so, of course, you could always just get a server that has PHP installed and upload the files that way. That'd be the the most old school way to do it. Yeah. Our options internally at Laravel are Forge or Vapor. Forge is something as a tool that links to like your DigitalOcean, your AWS account, a place where you can spin up private virtual private servers. It installs everything for you. It links to your GitHub. And then when you push, it deploys out to Forge or deploys out to your server using forge vapor is a serverless solution built on aws lambda where it packages up all your code ships it to Lambda, it provisions everything you need on aws once you link your account and you don't really need to think about the underlying servers as far as like picking you know how many servers you need load balancing traffic across them doing backups, doing operating system updates, you don't really need to think about any of that. So those are the two options we have internally. And I'm sure there's some other third party options. I think you can still do Laravel and Heroku, you can ship Laravel on fly.io. So those are the main options I'm familiar with. I'm not yeah, sure I if see a little bit out there.
0: I see a little bit more of the world than you do, unfortunately, because I see some <laughs> nasty stuff there. But yeah, like most of what we see is self-hosted. So there's a ton of companies that just run their own hardware, whether it's in the cloud or something they have locally. But it's basically they completely spun up the infrastructure and they are, you know, like you said, they're doing whatever their deploy system. And sometimes it's somebody's SSH is in and they get pull and sometimes it's actually FTP or whatever. You've got the shared hosting, which is the old school like DreamHost and Blue, whatever that one was that we all used for a while and a couple of Mm -hmm. those. And so shared hosting, you know, the upside is it's super, super cheap, you pay 10 bucks a month, and you have basically unlimited sites. The downside is, I mean, there's a million downsides, but one of them is you don't have your own box, you're sharing with other people. And if somebody else is a bad actor who's on the same box with you, then your site's just going to slow down. And at some point, they're going to say there's no way to keep the site from slowing down other than paying for your own box, at which point you're moving up to the next one, which is VPS virtual private server. Where you basically have like your own, it's not actually a full server, but it's much more segmented than shared hosting is. And that's things like DigitalOcean and Linode and AWS EC2. And that's what Forge lives on top of, right? Forge is a tool for managing your own VPS, but you could do your own VPS yourself if you wanted. Then you've got true serverless, which we were talking about earlier, like Lambda is like AWS Lambda and Vapor on top of it are like what people think of when they talk about serverless. But then you you made a point we were talking earlier that there's also other things where they effectively manage it for you even though it's not on top of Lambda. And that's things like Heroku and Fly.io and stuff. And I don't know if people traditionally call them serverless, but there's definitely this like things spin up and down. And I think maybe the difference between serverless and Heroku is more like a managed VPS maybe. So I guess you've got like VPS right. where you, you have one box. And then you got managed VPS where you don't even really think about the boxes you have. You just like Heroku calls them yeah. dynos. But it's sort of like you just upload the stuff and you can just drag a little slider to make it more or less powerful. Yeah, you
1: still have to manually kind of scale up your dynos. Yes.
0: And then you've got like the most further kind of thing, which is serverless, where it's purely just like, hey, throw whatever you want at the server. And it's just going to scale up and down and charge you accordingly. Right. Mm-hmm. But I don't think anything else has really changed there in terms of hosting. I think those have all been I mean, serverless is probably the newest addition. If you you know, like the managed VPS, VPS, shared hosting, self hosting, those have all been around for ages. It does feel like serverless is more relatively new and, you know, Vapor on top of AWS is certainly the place I would go if I was doing something. Although um, Chris Fidow works at Fly.io, so it's been kind of coming up in my feed a lot more. I don't know a ton about it, but it definitely is interesting to me. But Mm -hmm. all this kind of leads a little bit into one of the conversations that you had about a new feature, which is the ways that Forge and Envoy have been kind of touching each other a little bit. Mm -hmm. Now, Envoy isn't technically a hosting platform. You can hook it into an existing VPS. But I know that not everyone has a full understanding of what Envoyer does and the value. So could you start by giving like an intro to Envoyer and then also kind of tell us about this new feature?
1: Yeah. So I wrote Forge in 2014 and then quickly followed up with Envoyer in 2015. And Forge still to this day doesn't really have like zero downtime deployments built in where right. the traditional way of doing zero downtime deployments in PHP is by putting the new code in a new folder and then sim linking... Your like currently serve web directory to that new folder in one yeah. atomic operation. And that's what Envoyer does. So you tell it your server information, like the IP address, where your code's located on GitHub or GitLab or Bitbucket. It sets up all the SIM linking, all the folders, and it pulls down the fresh code, does the SIM linking, runs your deployment hooks, runs your migrations, if you want, all of that stuff. So it's more like a code deployment platform not really a hosting platform but forge and envoy pair really well together because you can build your servers on forge and then you can use envoy to do the zero downtime deployment if you need it so a lot of people actually just don't care like just run my deployment script from forge i don't care if there's two milliseconds of downtime while the git pool runs you know or something goes wrong because we just yeah. don't have enough traffic to care about that or whatever yeah but a lot of people want to do uh, zero downtown deployment if they have a lot of traffic or you know they have customers on the website but historically it was like forge and on had no idea about each other at all which yeah. felt really weird because they're yeah. both built by laravel yeah. and to give you some background when i first wrote on i was trying to do sort of this like favor for the whole php ecosystem mm-hmm. where there was sort of some criticism of laravel like hey laravel doesn't really like they're kind of all about Laravel. They don't really contribute back to the PHP ecosystem. And Envoyer was sort of a concession to
0: that. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Uh Yeah, a concession to that argument of like, hey, we actually do care about the wider PHP ecosystem. Here's this, this tool that any framework can use or any host can use not just forge we didn't even put it on a laravel domain you know it's envoyer.io unlike all of the other laravel products so anyway historically forge and envoyer didn't really know about each other and that just started to feel really silly so a few weeks ago or maybe a month ago we launched a new feature in forge where you can say hey i'm using envoyer to deploy this site and forge lets you link in your envoyer api token and the forge ui sort of more intelligently reacts to the fact that this is an envoyer project like if you go to the environment variable tab it tells you hey you actually need to manage this over on envoy and links you over to the page and the deploy tab it says deploy with envoy and you click the button and that actually triggers an envoy deployment from forge so it all feels much more integrated yeah so what we launched today that's actually new is The ability to link an existing site to Envoyer. So previously, a month ago, when we launched that integration, you could only do that for new sites on Forge, a new site that we are configuring fresh. But there's a lot of Envoyer sites already on Forge, probably literally probably over a thousand, I'm sure. (laughs) So you can link those existing sites to Envoyer, And how that works is basically you go into Forge to that existing site. There's an Envoyer tab. Forge will see that, hey, this site is using current slash public as its web directory, which is typically yeah. what envoyer would use for its web directory. And it's like, hey, you know, it looks like you might be using envoyer, are you and you can say yes, and select the envoyer project from a dropdown that that site is linked to and then forge just kind of knows about envoyer at that point and everything works well and you can deploy with envoyer from forge and yada 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 so anyway that was sort of a collaboration between uh, james brooks and joe here at laravel and i'm really happy with how that turned out and i honestly feel really silly that we didn't do it
0: years ago <laughs> but anyway <laughs> it, it, it is here now and right, i think yeah. it's i think it's a big uh, a pretty big upgrade I love that. And as someone who uses Envoyer pretty frequently, I'm really happy to hear that. What our flow would often be is, you know, we still want to use Forge to spin up the site in the server. So we'd use Forge, spin up the site in the server, and then I'd go to like the domain and it's like, all right, do you want to add the code or whatever? And I'm like, oh no, I, yeah. I remember now when I'm using Envoyer, yes. this is where I just let it just sit there in this awkward intermediate state. Yeah, stage. very
1: weird, awkward state.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and then I go over to Envoyer and I set it up and it has no knowledge of Forge. And so then I'm doing things in Envoyer and I, I get why it was there. And I was just like, yeah, this is just kind of like the nature of the thing. But now that you're naming it, I'm like, yeah, that's a very non laravel way to experience it. So knowing now I can just do it, like, because I don't think of, I think of. Some of the steps of setup that had to happen in Envoyer as being more like a 4G thing, and so now you're telling me yeah. I can do those at Forge. I'm like, great, I love this. So
1: yeah, so I think what's cool is when you when you configure a new Forge site that's going to use Envoy, it actually uses the Envoy API to add the server to the Envoyer project, to add nice. the SSH key back onto Forge, to make sure the connection is good. Like that's great. All of those
0: steps that were so manual yeah. now is all automated, which is that's good. That's so great. Love an API token that you can just do that kind of stuff with. Yeah. All right. Well, we had one last topic for the day, which is we keep getting this same question um, over the years of podcasting. And also, I'm sure you get this on Twitter. So I just wanted us to cover it, which is people keep asking about what your experience of working with pull requests of the framework is like, and we've got things like, what's your process of working with pull requests? And why did you merge somebody else's pull request when you didn't merge mine doing the same thing? And are there things that have been PR would multiple times that you didn't feel great about, you know, you you would merge it as great? Or you know, things you regret merging. So just in general, like people are really kind of asking about that. So could we lead with just what is your general thought process and approach when a third party PR comes into Laravel?
1: Sure. So I pretty much start every morning by looking at PRs across the whole Laravel organization, because I'm really the only one that merges PRs across the whole organization and sort of has the final say into what is merged or not. And we keep that number pretty low. So I need to merge about like 10 to 15, or I need to deal with about 15 pull requests a day to keep it like sustainable, you know? So what I'm looking for, I mean, first of all, I'll look at, you know, the amount of files changed in the pull request. Mm. If it's like 40 files, (laughs) I start getting nervous, you know? Mainly because Laravel is just used so widely throughout the world. And it's so easy to break an edge case, you know, Mm. because someone has is using Laravel in a way we didn't expect. Um, so I'm very cautious about any potential breaking changes. I'm pretty good at identifying where they could be in any mm-hmm. given pull request. So typically I'll look for those. I'll see if the pull request has tests. So there's there's two canned responses I have on GitHub. One is if the pull request doesn't have tests, there's an insufficient pull request, canned response where it says, Hey, thanks, but this doesn't have tests. So feel free to resubmit it, you know, when it has tests or something like that. Yeah. And then, you know, the other thing I'm looking for is do I want to take over. Sort of ownership of this feature forever because yeah. maintenance ownership, I mean. Yeah. Um, and that kind of plays into how many files are changing, how complicated the code is, and kind of what bang for the buck am I getting on this pull request, which is something yeah. I've mentioned before. So the best pull requests are least amount of files change, but huge user experience impact. Yeah. yeah. Obvi- that's like an in- instant merge PR, you know, yeah. whereas like the, a bad PR would be a lot of files change, very minimal developer experience improvement. Yeah. Probably not going to get merged. So I'm looking for bang for your buck. And yeah, do I want to maintain it forever? Because, you know, they're having situations where someone is very involved in the framework, they send in a lot of PRs, and then maybe they change jobs, maybe they have an illness, maybe something happens in their life and they're just not around anymore. Like literally, yeah. they're just gone. Yeah. Um, and now the feature is ours and we have to maintain it and know everything yep. about it and fix bugs in it. And so do I want to take on that responsibility? Yeah, And to your second kind of point about, you know, PRs that come in several times and they get closed and then they finally get merged, which is something people get a little bit frustrated about sometimes. And I think, you know, when I say no to a PR, it's sort of no for now, Mm -hmm. because sometimes Mm -hmm. a poor request will come in and it will be a feature request and it may be the first time I've seen it. And I'll think "Eh, I'm kind of on the fence, so I'll close it. Mm -hmm. But if it comes up again or maybe three times or four times, it's like, hmm, maybe there's actually more some demand for this and some need yeah, for this yeah. more than just one person you know so extreme examples of that would be like the app models directory you know which was yes. like <laughs> which was like requested thousands of times before yeah. i was like you know what fine like, it. yeah I, do people it. want it apparently <laughs> another one recently is actually the make view artisan command which oh, had been requested maybe seven or seven or eight times and finally, once we built Folio and Vault, actually, where we felt like we were doing a lot of view-centric work, um, Nuno was like, "Taylor, we we have to do Make View. Like, it's time to do Make View." Yeah. And once we merged it, a couple people popped up, and it's like, "Hey, I did this three years ago," and it's like, I it sympathize with that, but it just yeah. like it kept coming back up, and finally, it felt like, okay, yeah, the need is there at this point. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you that's know, fun. I I don't know how to fully solve that problem, but that's sort of the the thought process behind it is just sort of seeing if it's a need that bubbles up again and again and sort of validates itself by repeated attempts at pull requests.
0: And I think there's also just kind of a concept there of like, we are as open source maintainers, we are grateful for the PRs that come in from other folks and want to make sure that people get as much credit as possible. But in the end we have to do what's best for the framework, which requires us to, or the the tool or whatever, which requires us to do what's best for our sanity. Because if we can't take on this responsibility to maintain the thing, we're going to, if we're going to be in a bad space. So what that means is prioritizing, you know, credit to where credit's due as much as possible, but at some point doing what makes the most sense for us as a maintainer, because as the maintainer who decides what to PR and takes on the response or what to merge and decides it uh, takes on the responsibility for maintaining it, it does have to be your decision, your vision and your burden in in the end. So all these things are at most making it easier or harder or whatever towards the maintainer's desire to provide something to the community and also to take on that responsibility to do the work to continue providing that to the community and so yeah like i would never want anybody to feel like they're not being considered if whether it's because theirs didn't get merged and somebody else did or theirs didn't get merged and then you wrote it or i wrote it you know like in our respective things that we maintain But in the end, it is not about credit, like, that's not the most important thing, right? The most important thing is providing a good experience for the community, which requires us to be able to work in this flow. That's not always just about giving people credit, you know, so it's like, we can both say, I want you to get credit for your idea. But that's also not the most important thing. And sometimes this is just how it pans out, you know? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Cool. I used to ask you all the time is there anything that somebody could pr to laravel that you'd be you know grateful for them to do and, and i think it got pretty early on to the point where you're like i don't know because if we had the idea you know like we would have done it but it still seems that there yeah. are times where you do get a pr where you're like you know what i could have had that idea or whatever but i'm getting i'm getting insight into how people use laravel or would like to use laravel based on these PRs, so it's it doesn't seem like you're at a point where you're like nobody ever PR or anything, right? Like, there's still right. welcome contributions through PRs.
1: Right? Because yeah, like you said, businesses
0: are extremely varied. And they
1: mm-hmm. they surface blind spots, I would have to the framework was like, hey, this aspect of the framework actually really sucks. And here's why because I'm doing this in the real world. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. And I, if I'm not doing that in the real world, I would never yeah. see that. So there's no way I could know to fix it. So yeah, still a lot of value there for sure. Yeah,
0: And one of the things that really helps for those types of PRs or PRs where someone describes a use case that is made better by this PR that is hopefully a minimal number of lines of code and helps share how that use case is not just something that's just them. Like some of the ones where I'm like, you did a great job of describing your use case and I just don't think anybody else is going to have it. Whereas somebody else would describe a use case and I, I would get, you know, 35 emoji responses on the thing saying basically effectively communicating hey yeah, that's yeah. my use, use case as well and i can imagine how a lot of other people have that use case that makes it much more compelling because i'm like yeah that's not me i've never used valet that way but wow i get why you care about that so mm-hmm. okay yeah well that is our last topic for the day is there anything else about how you handle prs or things that have been pr'd or things that you regret merging i assume you don't want to talk about that but if there's is there anything else about prs that you kind of want to share before we cut for the day
1: not really, other than if you're thinking about submitting a PR, keep in mind that whole bang for the buck yeah, thing, you know, try to make your PR, hopefully as simple and small as possible, but a big impact on user experience. And that not just for Laravel, but I think for any open source project, I think those are the kinds of PRs they want to see and merge.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love that. So small code change, big impact. Preferably big impact, not just for like the most people, but also like the most benefit for each individual person. And right. I forget what the third one was. But yeah, you said those for sure. So sweet. Okay. Anything else you want to chat about today, Taylor? Or do you feel like we, we got through that's on your mind?
1: No, that was fun. We covered a lot yeah. of
0: good stuff. I know. And only 30 minutes. Go us. Well, thank <laughs> you all for hanging out with us for today. And we will see you all in two weeks. So take care. See ya.